Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Carrie Green earned her MFA at McNeese State University in Lake Charles, Louisiana, and has received grants from the Kentucky Foundation for Women, the Kentucky Arts Council, and the Louisiana Division of the Arts. Her poems have appeared in Beloit Poetry Journey, a journal, Poetry Northwest, River Sticks, Fly Away, Blackbird, Cave Wall, Diagram, and Elsewhere. She's our guest today on Think Humanities Podcast, and according to Able Muse Press, who published Carrie Green's first book of poetry, her studies of familiar birds, the title of the poetry collection, reflects upon the series of nest and egg illustrations that Virginia Jones sought, uh, saw to completion after her daughter, who had begun the project, died. The artist's loss in the late 19th century is presented in tandem with Carrie Green's artistic response in the death of her own father. Other poems draw inspiration from altered vintage photographs in Sarah Angelucci's aviary series or from first-hand observations of birds and humans. This collection, unique in subject and sensibility, is a special honoree of the 2019 Abel Muse Book Award. So, Carrie Green, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. And congratulations on the award. Thank you. <laughs> you were telling me something uh, very interesting uh, about the way a lot of poets first come to be published. Mm -hmm. um, they win awards from the publisher, and I didn't know that. So describe that t to me, if you will, please. Well, um, yeah, so um, a lot of people, I think, don't realize this. Um, for poetry in particular, um, there are many contests and they are book publication contests. Um, University of Kentucky Press has a contest um, and um, you have to submit your manuscript to these contests. Um, there's usually an entry fee um, and um, they'll pick um, some finalists. Um, sometimes some of the finalists get offered publication. Um, the winner always gets offered publication, um, and you know that's how it that's how it's done. There's you know most poets don't have agents like um, a fiction writer would, um, so it's just a different way of getting published. So at the time that you were um, asking or sending your material to Able Muse. Uh, you were also submitting material to other uh, publishers at the same time. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it can take, you know, usually about a year to hear back from these presses. Um, so most people do submit simultaneously. Did you hear from anybody else? Um, I, I did. Um, I was finalist or semi-finalist at a bunch of other places. Mm. So, so yeah. Um, but, you know, when, when someone offers to publish your manuscript in poetry, um, you, you jump on it. <laughs> yeah. 
So how long have you been writing? Um, oh, I've been writing for a long time. Um, uh, since I was a child, um, and um, you know, I got my MFA um, quite a long time ago, um, and have just been doing it ever since. I, I think that uh, there, uh, in your acknowledgments, uh, there is reference to uh, someone who you thank for really telling you that you could be a poet. Uh, Apparently, uh, maybe in your earlier writing or during your MFA program, you were maybe basically writing only fiction. Mm -hmm. and, and, and how did that come about? Was it a class? Um, well, I had written poetry and fiction kind of all my whole life. Mm -hmm. um, and in college, I wasn't a creative writing major, but I, I was an English minor. So I did often take creative writing classes and I would take both poetry and fiction. But I did, um, in pursuing my MFA, I was there for fiction. And that's actually what my MFA is in, is fiction writing. Um, but I went to a small program. And um, one of the benefits of that was getting to take um, just as many poetry classes as I took fiction. Um, so the person I think was uh, John Wood, the poetry professor at the time. And um, um, he was one of many people to tell me, <laughs> um, you know, you have image, you have music, you're a poet. <laughs> and on the other hand, in my fiction writing classes, I was hearing, where's the plot? <laughs> so um, so eventually I, I figured that out. <laughs> Aren't we all um, told at one time or in writing instruction or um, if you happen to be fortunate to be in an MFA program or, or to take courses at the Carnegie Center in Lexington, Kentucky, or uh, various other writing programs. Maybe you're just with a group of friends at a coffee house. That happens uh, a lot. Mm -hmm. That uh, writing poetry helps you write fiction and nonfiction. I mean, writing poetry, people don't realize, is a um, not necessarily a, a discipline, but it uh, lets you explore some areas that you might not think you could in, in fiction and even in nonfiction. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think that you probably see that in my book, um, because I'm writing about my own experiences, but I'm also writing fictionalized um, account of um, the Jones family. Well, tell me about uh, your book, uh, your first uh, publication, Studies of Familiar Birds. And when or who suggested at one point that this might be a series of poems that would would go together into a a publication that uh, you could continue to write on or I'm just interested in the sort of the genesis of the idea how it was born when you began to think about it and your interest too in ornithology um well you know it it was a pretty organic process and happened over several years. It's, I didn't just, you know, have, have this sudden idea. Um, I had been writing poems about my father, um, and, um, actually, uh, a colleague of mine, uh, at the Jessamine County Public Library, um, 
showed me this book. Um, it's called America's Other Audubon. Um, and um, Joy Kaiser, uh, another librarian, collected um, the illustrations from the book Illustrations of the Nests and Eggs of Birds of Ohio in this book. Um, and Kendall just showed me this book and said, I think you would really like this book. And I did really like this book and um, read the story about the family and, you know, just felt really excited about it um, and started eventually writing about um, the plates. So a lot of the poems are ekphrastic, which means they're, they're written about um, the illustrations themselves. Um, and initially I thought that, um, you know, I kind of explored different viewpoints in the family, um, but I was most attracted to Virginia Jones, um, Virgin and just to tell people a little bit about the family. Um, so Genevieve Jones began this project, the book Illustrations of the, ne of the Nests and Eggs of Birds of Ohio. Um, and, she, and this was the first book of its kind about American eggs and nests. She wanted to um, do for eggs and nests what Audubon had done for American birds. Um, and just a few months after the book's first plates were mailed to subscribers, Genevieve died suddenly of typhoid fever when she was 32 years old. And the um, time period is, is quite some time ago. What is that year? Yeah, so it's, um, it's the 19th century. The book was published from um, serially from 1879 to 1886. Um, so she died in 1879, I believe. Um, and her family decided to complete the project in her honor. And her mother, Virginia Jones, um, took on the task of um, creating the illustrations. And she was someone who really didn't have that much interest in ornithology like the rest of her family um, and had never done any kind of scientific illustration. And um, so it just seemed miraculous to me that she was able to, um, in her grief, work through um, and honor her daughter and create something really amazing as well. Uh, was she, uh, Genevieve was really, the, the daughter was really the illustrator, is that correct? Uh, did, did Virginia also have this talent? Virginia, um, Genevieve only, um, only did a few plates because she died after mm -hmm. the first three plates mm -hmm. were, um, were published. Um, so Virginia completed the rest of the book. Uh, so you, you didn't have an idea about the, the, the subject matter of a collection, uh, although by that time, had your father passed away? Oh, yes. Father mm -hmm. had passed away. So um, did this give you, what did this do for you? Was this the, uh, the outline that you were looking for? Did, what spoke to you that said that uh, all of the writing that I've been doing uh, about a number of things, about, about my father's uh, passing, uh, can maybe fall under, under this collection, Studies of Familiar Birds? How, how does that happen? Even if it happened organically, how does that happen? Um, you know, um, 
you you write some poems, you either put them in a drawer or have them in a, in a stack by your desk. Um, and eventually you start to see connections between them. You know, after I started working on um, the poems about the about illustrations of the nests and eggs, I, um, you know, noticed there were lots of birds that were already in the poems about my father. Um, so, you know, it was just kind of there. And um, there, are, there are many collections um, that I could reference. The one that I think of um, that comes to mind and that I sort of had in my idea as a model um, is Natasha Trethewey's Native Guard, where she um, writes about her mother's death, um, but she also writes about the the historical figure of um, a former of a soldier in the in the native guard um, that kind of um, forms the the bulk of her book. Mm-hmm. So, one day or over the course of many days, uh, you begin to see a relationship between what you'd already written or what you were reading and 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 other aspects of your life mm-hmm. and, and of your family. Mm-hmm. And it all began to come together. Is that sometimes the way poets think and write and, and work? Well, I, I mean, I can't speak for all poets, but <laughs> that is that is often how it works for me, yeah. Um, I don't necessarily go into it with, with a plan. I'm kind of feeling my way through the process. Uh, there is a, a lot, uh, 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 and I said birding, and I, I haven't uh, found that uh, term in, in your work uh, or even in the review, but d- did you, are you a birder, uh, did, did, uh, uh, an observer of, um, of, of all things in flight? Um, well, no, I have to say um, I certainly wasn't when I decided to start writing about the project um and I can't um you know I I've sort of started I I think with the pandemic um and being at home more um trying to um notice birds more um but um so no, I'm I'm not an ex I'm not a bird expert. Um, I used um, lots of research. Um, <clears throat> the each plate in illustrations was accompanied by text about the birds and about their eggs and nests. Um, that was written by um, Genevieve's brother um, Howard Jones. Um, so I, that was kind of my starting point. That was the um, the research from the time, um, and then I also used sources like the Cornell Ornithology um, website um, and and some other um, you know academic mm-hmm. sources. Um, so research was also a big part of the project. Well, it's um, it's interesting that you have become um, an ornithologist or, or a birder uh, without actually going out and taking photographs and maybe uh, 
you probably have a pair of binoculars, but uh, <laughs> going out on walks and really, uh, I mean, b- birding, uh, because I lived next door to one, uh, a very serious uh, a person, uh, mm-hmm. serious in in a lot of aspects of his life, but, but very serious uh, birding, would take uh, international trips mm-hmm. with small groups that would go off in the uh, jungles of of uh, Guatemala and, and other places, uh, uh, backpacking uh, into the uh, wilds uh, to find uh, birds and, and to write. I don't think, uh, he kept a journal. I don't think he was an illustrator. Um, but um, ha- have you ever been to the uh, John Audubon State Park in Western Kentucky? No, I haven't. I would really like to go, but it's I haven't fascinating. Been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you would probably... Uh, benefit. One of your uh, reviewers, one of your, um, uh, that, that's included, uh, I think on the, maybe it's on the back of the book, is um, we associate poets with birds. They mourn, call, cry, warn, and fly to places the gravity-bound human body can only follow with ear, eye, and heart. I think that's a, a beautiful way um, that was described by Lisa Russ, is it Spare, Spar? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so um, tell me a little bit more about that part of it before we go into uh, the other aspects of the book. Um, how did you how did you begin to see that that nests and bird habitat were important enough to you to to to, to write uh, very precisely and in detail about? Um, about the birds you observed? Um, I think it was the illustrations themselves. Um, you know, I think um, they're so detailed. Um, and, uh, you know, Virginia Jones was also not a birder um, or an ornithologist, um, but she had to really be able to um, understand the structures of the nests in order to be able to illustrate them. And um, for me, writing about art is um, just a way of, um, it kind of opens up um, some different pathways in my brain. um, And you can see connections between lots of different things. I mean, for example, I think a lot of people would maybe think of eggs and nests of, um, you know, signs of hope. And while certainly they are, um, these were all, you know, empty eggs. They were specimens. Most of these birds had been killed in order to um, um, study the the eggs and nests. That's, you know, that's what they did in the 19th century. And um, so, you know, what I saw instead was someone working through her grief um, in in focusing on um, this project. Which you were doing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking to a poet uh, from Lexington, uh, Carrie Green, whose uh, first publication... Um, 
came out uh, during the pandemic, but uh, or at the tail end of the pandemic. Uh, uh, no, no, it was, was December. Was it December? Okay, mm-hmm. well, th- then it was, I guess, in the middle of the pandemic. Um, but it's out now, and uh, <laughs> she's uh, talking with us about studies of familiar birds, her first collection of poems. And we'll have more with Carrie Green right after we uh, take time out to hear from our good friends at Spalding University. At Spalding University's School of Creative and Professional Writing, students develop mastery of the writing skills highly prized in today's workplace, including arts and humanities organizations, government agencies, corporations, and small businesses. A professional writing student will explore opportunities writing for trade and consumer media, including reviews, profiles, interviews, and articles for sports, food, travel, health and science, and other publications. Learn more at spalding.edu slash schoolofwriting or email schoolofwriting at spalding.edu. Carrie Green is our guest uh, today on Think Humanities Podcast. And Carrie, uh, one of the things that, um, that you've done is uh, to work through a, 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 a personal story in your poetry as many, many poets, uh, if not all, uh, at some point in time do. Uh, your artistic response uh, to the death of your, your father and working through uh, the grief that you felt and, and most likely still do. So tell me about, uh, first of all, just tell me about your father. Sure. Um, well, um... My dad, um, my dad's name was Gary Green, um, and um, I don't know. It's kind of hard to, <laughs> kind of hard to, um, yeah, describe describe yeah. him. Um, he, um, <clears throat> but he was very loved, you know, not only by his family but um, by many other people, um, and um, he got pancreatic cancer, which, um, as, um, some of you may know, is, um, one of the deadliest cancers, um, and he died of it, um, when he was 57. Um, so, you know, it was, um, he, he had always been a healthy person and, um, worked very hard. He was, um, a mechanic and owned his own um, repair shop um, and was always working. And um, so it just um, was quite, quite surprising, you know, to, that, that sort of devastating diagnosis. To the whole family. To the it whole was, family, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and what did, how did poetry help you uh, grasp uh, the, the, uh, the the gravity of his diagnosis as well as his his eventual passing. Well, I didn't start writing about him until probably a year after he died. Um, so um, so writing poetry, I don't think um, you know that I was writing I was writing poems about other things, and I think sometimes what was happening in my in my real life kind of worked its way into those poems. Um, but uh, certainly reading poems helped me. Um, 
as I, um, as we were, um, you know, experiencing, um, his diagnosis mm-hmm. and treatment, um, and things like that. Um, I think, um, you know, many of the poems about my father take place in the natural world. And, um, we often, um, went on hikes or went to parks. Um, so I think, um, you know, that was kind of getting out and doing things um, as much as we could was really important to us. And for a, a, a period of time, there was always hope, uh, even though you knew uh, how devastating this cancer could be, and he did too. Mm-hmm. But but there was always a, a, a glimmer of, of, of brightness uh, that he held, I'm sure, until the very end that, that maybe something would would happen and it would be reversed, but it wasn't. Well, I, uh, yes and no. Um, I think, um, I think one of the, one of the important things with a difficult diagnosis, like a terminal diagnosis, um, is there is still hope, but you hope for different things. You know, you hope for, um, that you won't have pain. You hope that, um, you'll have some good days, you know, you hope that, um, that you'll have a good death, you know, die at home. Um, so I think that you can always have hope, but, um, what you hope for changes. Um, the, the, uh, the poems, uh, that I I saw and, and read, uh, aren't grouped in in a particular area. and, And this is maybe if I, studied this for some time, I would figure out why they're uh, placed where they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell me about that. Uh, for example, uh, on page 16, uh, there is a poem after the diagnosis. There's another uh, on page 51, the last time my father left the house. And then uh, things my father said on page 65. So uh, instead of putting all of those together, what mm-hmm. what uh, did you do that yourself, or did the publisher uh, suggest that the placement? No, um, the order was mine. Um, I did have um, readers um, that um, read the manuscript um, and offered comments. Um, I went to um, once I had a completed draft of the manuscript. I went to the Vermont College of Fine Arts postgraduate um, MF postgraduate conference. Um, and, um, it's a really great experience. Um, you have, um, a faculty member and then, um, usually four other, um, poets, um, who also have their own manuscript. Um, and everybody reads each other's manuscripts and talks about them. Um, and so initially in that draft, I did have things a little more, separate. Mm-hmm. Um, and my workshop leader, A. a Van Jordan, who um, is a poet that I really admire, and he is also someone who um, has written about a historical figure. Um, he thought that the poems had more movement and more tension um, if they were um, intermingled mm-hmm. a little more. Um, and um, you know, one of the first things he did during my workshop was he read 
10 poems um, in, um, in a new order um, and to, just to kind of demonstrate mm. it. Um, so that really helped me break out of that um, box of just putting like with like. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, of the of the poems um, that you wrote about uh, your your father, is there one that you could? Um, uh, and I'm putting on the spot here, but <laughs> but I'm sure you know them all quite well. Um, is there one that you could read just a little bit uh, of uh, to to um, to demonstrate to the listeners uh, what we're talking about? Um, sure. So you just want me to read a short one, or uh, yeah, what, whatever you choose. Um, I had. Uh, several that I had marked that I read and uh, but but I, I want you to choose um, okay something that um, that people might relate to um. Um, all right well I will read after the diagnosis mm -hmm. because you mentioned that one mm -hmm. um, and this takes place um, I should probably say that I'm originally from Florida um, and this takes place um, in a state park Hatsune Island State Park in Deland Florida um, and the poem is a form called a pantoum after the diagnosis we walked the hammock to the shell mound my father first on the hard-packed path Shadows of palms and oaks slanted like rungs, the path a shining ladder through trees. My father led us on the hard-packed path, head down, sharp elbows swinging. Did he see the path shining like a ladder through trees? We followed him through the hush of fronds. Head down, sharp elbows swinging, did he see the red lichen bloom like cells on trunks of trees? We followed him through the hush of fronds and the trunks stains bright as open wounds. The lichen bloomed like cells on trunks of trees. The sable palms curved and leaned, their red stains bright as open wounds. Trail ends here. We needed to be told. A sable palm curved and leaned into the wide arms of a dead oak. Trail ends here. We needed to be told. The midden sinks into swampy ground. That's lovely, and um, it is followed on the very next page, and I'm not going to ask you to read this, uh, nor will I, but. Um, it's why people should buy the collection. <laughs> um, my father's shirts, and uh, if anyone has has had um, a sad passing in their family, and uh, there, there's always I, I, I hear it a lot that I'm uh, I have to clean out my mother or father's house. Uh, they're they're moving into assisted living, or they passed away, and we we need to put the house uh, up for sale. And so there there's that inevitable. Uh, uh, problem with the treachery of, of having to, to clean out something and a closet is usually where all the stuff is. And in mm -hmm. this one, my father's shirts, um, I, it, um, it, it really resonates because it's, it's your, it's your dad when he's still alive going through shirts that he knows he'll never wear again. Mm -hmm. 
and um, and how sad that is. Uh, some that he wants to hang on to, one that your brother gave him, mm-hmm. um, and, um, and 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 um, he says, "I'll never wear these again." And then the the last uh, uh, phrase is, "He he died the next spring." Uh, so um, you know, we, we we've all been there. So you 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 do such a good job with that. Well, why don't we um, end up with you reading something else? Uh, I've asked you just to choose something um, and we'll ask you to tell us what it is and maybe how you came about uh, writing this piece that you're going to read. Um, sure. I, um, I'm going to, I'll read one of the poems about um, the plates. And this is actually, um, the image on the book cover is the image that this um, poem is about. Um, But hopefully you don't need to see the image in order to um, appreciate the poem. Um, And it's called Ode to the Morning Dove. How can we not love your nests? each twig an offering from male to female as he stands upon her back. Such economy, the way the heft of your bodies molds the sticks. Spare, we should say, not crude, not flimsy. Please forgive us for finding your tiny heads so comical above your plump, delicious breasts. But how we covet the blue rims lining your black eyes and your tranquil coloring amid summer's dazzle of emerald and ruby flight. We rest our eyes on the soft grays of your wings, the rosy buff of your chests. But mostly we adore the rattle of wind through your wings and how When dawn's chatter rises to cacophony, we can always discern your throat's pulse. Oh, dove, the sweet ache of your lament, teach us to sing our grief. That's poet Carrie Green. (laughs) And um, you can find her uh, poetry book uh, around town, I'm sure, uh, on mail order or from... uh, Able Muse Press. Able Muse uh, Press. Um, Google them and they pop right up and her book (laughs) is there. So, uh, Carrie uh, Green, thanks so much for being with us on Think Humanities. Thank you, Bill, for having me. I enjoyed it. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's story for 49 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.